Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Nicole Closter from Manchester, Missouri. Nicole will get a marathon decal showing she Nicole will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Mikhail Schick, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories. These are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Law & Order Season 11, Episode 5, Return. Rabbis, it's our position that Mr. Becker seeking refuge in Israel is a cynical attempt to avoid the consequences of the murder of his father's partner. Except even a murderer is entitled to return to Israel if he's Jewish. With all due deference, Rabbi, forgive me, but was it ever the intention of the law of return to allow a criminal to avoid having to answer for his crime? Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On... And Netflix's You Can Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for having me back on the show. Again, we're all in isolation, so I really can't bring anyone else I'm in. I'm always on the show. But we are able to bring in a very special guest from the Nice Jewish Fangirls podcast. It's Mikhail Schick. Hi, Mikhail. Hi. How's it going? Good. I know I mangled the name again. That is, that <laughs> is I've been doing totally it 15 fine. times. Again, you are in exalted company. <laughs> well, look, you may be nice and you may be Jewish, but your podcast is really about being fangirls. Yes. Do you think there's a difference? You bring a different perspective to Avengers and Harry Potter because of your shared experiences? You know, I think we do sometimes. I think there are definitely moments of um, recognition of smaller themes or, you know, kind of the, the, the background implications of certain stories that we bring in. Um, and then, you know, every so often they... Um, you know, clumsily try and do something Jewish, and then we are all over that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Mikhail, you're the perfect person to have on to talk about this particular episode <laughs> of Law and Order. By the way, we can also have you back to talk about one where they don't bungle the whole Jewish thing. <laughs> that would Ooh, also be the yeah. fun in that. <laughs> <laughs> but we would we would feel weird not asking you to weigh in on this particularly strange episode for sure. <laughs> So you've been to, you guys have been to like uh, Comic-Con and yes, done panels, have, right? Yeah, we have panels at New York Comic-Con and uh, Jewish Comic-Con, which was a short-lived endeavor, but very dear to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> was there cosplay? Yes, actually, there's some people who showed up in cosplay, which I thought was really, really dedicated for like a 
maybe 100 person convention in a synagogue <laughs> in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Mikhail, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Um, I, I liked some of the ones in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, because she hasn't watched a lot of episodes. Briscoe and Green. Should we disclose? I've never seen Law and Order before. It's, I sat down to watch. This. You could say Munch. That's Richard <laughs> Belzer's character. Oh, so I love Munch. Oh my god, Munch. Yes, <laughs> that's perfect. And do you have a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite Law and Order District Attorney Prosecutorial Team. No, she no, doesn't. No, you know, I can't pick. They're all so great. I, I couldn't They're possibly. So <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you learned anything from watching the show, Kevin? You never ask a question that there's no answer to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a standard bit. I got to go through with it. <laughs> all right, now let's look at the first half of this episode, Law and Order, Season 11, Episode 5, Return. Well, we start by seeing three college students suffer the fear of every New York tourist falling through the sidewalk in one of those basement hatchways that just appear out of nowhere. <laughs> Inside, they find the body of Saul Kaplan, co-owner of the leather jacket store Becker and Kaplan. Briscoe and Green ask if it was a break-in, what happened to all the stolen merchandise? So they play Law & Order Hopscotch, going from those students to the hooker they saw to the, as it was said in the culturally insensitive way of the time, a drag queen hooker with a new leather coat to the John who works for Kaplan, who admits to stealing the coat but not killing his boss, and we are five minutes into this episode. Hmm. Street crime unit come up with anything? Nothing. What about CSU? No usable prints. Emmy's report confirms two shots. One from about eight feet, hit him in the shoulder. The other from two to three feet, hit him in the back of the head. Purple's probably standing like right above him. Hmm. An execution. Forensic says the padlock was made to look like it was chiseled, so it has to be an inside job. Who has a rap sheet? None other than Sal, who works for Saul and Sales. So Sal is Saul Salesman. <laughs> the, the detectives hunt down Sal's friend, Eddie, who admits to killing Saul Kaplan for five grand. But who would want to take out Mr. Kaplan? Briscoe stays up way past his bedtime to hit an after-hours club where Sal hung out with Eli Becker, whose father is the other half of Becker and Kaplan. They find out Eli had been faking the inventory records and selling the coats on the side to fund his coke habit. When they go to arrest Eli, his father says he's gone somewhere. You can't get him. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Cut to commercial. All right, so off the top, A plus one liners. Uh, the victim was armed with a baseball bat, so Briscoe says. He was in the office. He heard something. He grabbed a bat. Yeah, looks like the pitcher blew one by him. Looks like the pitcher blew one by him. Yes, very sensitive. I was always yes, really. I was always. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're talking to those witnesses, the, the college kids. They, they may feel like they're going to get in trouble because they went to see a hooker. And there was the one guy. Is it possible our parents not be made aware of this? My father just had a bypass. Oh, sure. I'd hate to see you get in trouble seeing as how you didn't even get your hat knocked off. Hey, we want you to get in trouble just because you didn't get your hat knocked off. It was so weird how those college kids were so worried about them calling their parents. Well, first they said they, they wanted to call their parents or something. And then it was like, but don't tell my parents I was with a hooker. Yeah, man. They're just so how indecisive. just not call your parents? You're adults. You're in college in New York. Presumably, like, your parents don't have to be involved in every, like, little incident that happens in your life. Well, McCall, it seems that in New York that parents... Parents have influence over everything. Oh, yes. Yes. Everyone listens to their parents. Um, parents buy you plane tickets. So when you yeah. commit murder, um, <laughs> a, a, lot of, a lot of things happen. Um, I, I was actually just most impressed that they stuck around. 
Like they find yeah. the body at night and then it's like 10 in the morning and he's like, oh, you want to talk to the kids who have been sticking around here for six hours? Oh, yeah, sure. We'll get to it. Sure. I think I think their hearts are in the right place. They're very civic minded. Civic minded enough to all go together to the <laughs> sex workers apartment. Yeah, I know. Let's all do this together, guys. Yeah, no, there's one girl and three and they were all gonna hang around and yeah just like wait in the waiting room or something i don't know my friends aren't that good enough friends <laughs> that i would wait around for that i'd just be like yeah. how'd it go yeah be like steve i'll be you know i'll be down here it's like it's not like bringing someone to the dentist and hanging out in the waiting room no <laughs> and that's a lot of pressure to come out of the waiting room a little too quick if you know what i'm saying that's right yeah that's right and we should mention i know that you already said that this is not a sensitive episode in 2020 they do use the word hooker in the episode and I'll have you say I just said sex worker because I know that that's the right thing to say right well I don't want our listeners to to understand that like Briscoe and Green call them hookers oh that's not all (laughs) oh they're they're misgendering people all over the place I mean it is this episode truly is the gift that keeps on giving (laughs) right right well I like to say that NBC's your 2000 depiction of a transgender sex worker is very progressive Toreador (laughs) Toreador. <laughs> Toreador is in a woman's dress, but is pissing on a wall. Yes. Toreador. Can you give a girl some privacy, please? You know, they've had indoor plumbing for 2,000 years. Officers, I am so sorry. Is it not permitted to relieve oneself out of doors? So that tells America, hey, America, she's got a dick. Right. That's the way we telegraph That's that. right. But then Green calls and her And I say she. she because I don't really, I didn't get to ask her what her pronouns are. But Green calls her a she, which yeah, okay. I found. There I was like, I was right. like I, they clearly don't know what they're doing because they're like, he, she, she, he, she, he, she. And then they, of course, use the fact that uh, she, who may or not be, may or may not be transgender. We don't actually know because they don't know anything. Oh, taking hormones. I don't know. We don't know. We're making a lot of assumptions for a fake person. We don't know. From 20 Tor- years ago. We don't know how Toriador <laughs> identifies. I so <laughs> Neither does law and order. And they don't bother <laughs> to find out. <laughs> Episode writer Aaron Zellman chalks this under many of the things that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, why is Toradour Scarlett O'Hara? I don't know. You mind taking it off so we can take a look at it? Not at all. Ooh, chilly morning, though not quite unpleasant. She identifies as Southern as well. As well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trans-regional. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they tracked down uh, Sal's accomplice, Eddie, and he's basically one of my teenage stepsons. <laughs> no. oh, we can see it's your gym bag, Eddie. We just want to look at it. Why? You don't want to let us? I don't care. Hmm. What you doing with this? Nothing. Where'd you get it? This guy? Back in the Kaplan. Get in the car. What's in the bag? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Stuff. <laughs> Poor Eddie. Eddie was like George from Mice and Men. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Oh, he... I could do it with my hands, Sal. I could do it with my hands. He was so stupid. I felt so bad. I'm like, clearly, Mikhail, don't you think he was supposed to be like a brain damage from boxing or something? Oh, like, yes. Yes. Oh, I yeah. mean, talk about like... And the act, imagine being the actor going in and auditioning for that part. So here's what we want. <laughs> I've prepared a long soliloquy. No, 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 no. Just put it aside. Your brains have leaked out of your ear. <laughs> Pretend you've never thought anything. 
Okay, go. Okay, go. <laughs> Pick up his gym bag. All right, now focus. <laughs> Let's workshop this. What's you that? don't want him to know what's in the bag. What you, well, I should say something very... Uh, he's probably a royal Shakespearean actor, right? <laughs> no. He came over to New York. So he wanted a big role. He's probably well, an NYU like, acting student. <laughs> Who are you kidding? <laughs> no, I, I, would much pre- I would much rather prefer to think of him as some highfalutin actor. Like who's he's like, British, yes, actually? Yeah, he wanted to... Well, I would really like to prefer to uh, come up with some... Obfuscation about what is in the the portation of this. <laughs> what's, what's, what's his motivation? His motivation. <laughs> <laughs> like, we liked you because your nose looked broken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's look at take a look at the cast for a minute. We have a repeat offender. Repeat offender. Rebecca, you're going to remember our from our formerly famous Gary Busey episode, the defense attorney, Brad Feldman. Mm-hmm. He's played by character actor Bruce Altman. Mm-hmm. Let him answer for his crime, assuming he committed one in Eretz Yisrael, as is his right. But let's talk about our Hey, It's That Guy. Okay. Hey, it's that guy. Who is playing the son, Eli Becker? Anybody know the name of that actor? I know where I know him from. Does that count? <laughs> That's Evan Handler. You've led a very sheltered life, Toddler. You know that? Let me ask you something. Have you ever lifted a finger? Have you ever tried unloading a truck? Have you ever tried selling? Have you ever worked a day in your life? The keys to the kingdom, this kid, he gets. He's best known as, well, David Duchovny's agent, Charlie Wrinkle on California Cation no, and. Can I get to the end? <laughs> I didn't say I was doing this chronologically. <laughs> Dalston Sex in the City. Yes. McCall, did you recognize him? Uh, no. So I was in eighth grade when this episode aired. So <laughs> I <laughs> I think I missed a lot of his finer work. Um, but I definitely did scroll through his IMDb and I was like, I think some of this is just like Jewy McJewson. Like, yes. he just <laughs> seems to be cast as like the Jewish guy, which yes. is, uh, you know, okay, that's cool. Which is, I and I didn't watch Sex and the City when it was on. Yeah. I've watched some reruns that are now on now. It is a terrible show, by the way. Anyone who did thinks otherwise, you can come at me with that, because I will tell you all the reasons why it's a terrible show. But he is the guy that Charlotte ends up marrying, like, primarily because he's Jewish. Like, that seems to oh. be, at least in, the, like, the five <laughs> minutes of that episode that I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Evan Handler, uh, he quit a Broadway show, the Broadway show I Hate Hamlet, mid-performance after his co-star, Nicole Williams, hit him with a sword and chased him off the stage. <laughs> oh, my God, I really? He a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, literally. <laughs> he was the understudy to Matthew Broderick in Biloxi Blues, but he had to quit when he was diagnosed with leukemia, hmm. and he wrote a book called Time on Fire, My Comedy of Terrors About the Experience. Hmm. And when they were negotiating, optioning the film rights, one agent said that they would make the book into a ride at Bush Gardens. What? Uh... Yeah. He said they could call it Patience of the Caribbean. Are you kidding? I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I think he didn't go with that agent. He probably thought he was full of shit. Okay, let's talk, talk about Ronnie Ortega, the store employee. Anybody recognize him? He takes the numbers, puts them in his computer. Then he prints out a list to give to the manager. We had all kinds of merchandise that wasn't listed. Uh, that's Anton Pagan. He's a, a big figure in New York theater uh, and the actor's studio. You probably have seen him before as Hector, one of the army recruits in Stripes. Nope. And <laughs> that's the fact. Jack, okay. Mikal was like, I was three. <laughs> I wasn't even born yeah. then. Stripes and Bill Murray? Come on. <laughs> 
really do see everything through a white guy lens, don't you, Kevin Flynn? <laughs> well, he was Bernardo in uh, West Side Story okay. for some big revival. All but... right. Oh. The Broadway revival. What did I say? No, you said the big revival, and big. I'm saying the Broadway revival, not the upcoming film revival. No, no, no. <laughs> he's like 70 a... now. I mean, come on. <laughs> I think he's as old as Bill Murray. He's not going to be Bernardo. He's be Bernardo's grandfather. <laughs> Lastly, can anybody identify who is playing Rabbi Number Three? <laughs> no, but I thought he looked weird. He thought he, he thought he looked weird. I did. <laughs> he was like, "What?" I like the other two. I was like, "Okay, I get, I get your costume." Like, I just didn't. I, I there were choices made, and I'm not sure I agree with them. But which like one was number three? Was it the one on the right number three, or the one on the left number three? If you're facing the tribunal, yes. He is the one farthest to the left. So no speaking parts. He had a line. He did. Oh, yeah. Here, I'll let me play it. The Talmud has no technicalities, Mr. Becker. Only laws. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they narrowed it down. Yeah, yeah. Which is definitely what a rabbinical court is for. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that in the second half of this episode. That's actor Robert Levine. He was a series regular on the TV show Superboy for two years. <laughs> Superboy. As Dennis Jackson, the editor of the Daily Planet for young Clark Kent. I swear to God, he did not have that beard at the time. Can we just talk about the fact that there's a show called Superboy at which Clark Kent worked at the Daily Planet? Was he a boy when he worked there? Well, he's like a teen. He wasn't like nine years old. Okay. McCall, help me out here, Superboy. <laughs> we just wandered squarely into your territory. I'm sorry, guys. I a rabbi who played Perry White's future. Uh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I actually stick more on the Marvel side of things. I'm nice. sorry. Oh, God, it's all right. Everyone does. That's why they can't get that Superman movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have released the Zack Snyder cut, so it's fine. <laughs> Look, kind of deep cover for a guy who was a, in a television series not that long before this episode came out. Kevin, before you looked that up, yeah. were you even aware that there was a show called Superboy? Yes. You were? I mean, it wasn't like on my top 500, <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, there's a bit of a red herring, uh, or maybe it's a red gefilte fish. I don't know. Uh, what you call it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Briscoe and Green talk to Kaplan's widow, mm. and that's when her grandson David enters. Grandma? Oh, come here, Tatola. You all right? This is my grandson, David. Hello. These gentlemen are the detectives that are investigating what happened with your Zed. He said that he would take on the family business, but he wants to work on his film career. <laughs> I was literally like, oh, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been on a date with, with David Gaffney. <laughs> you know, just, just the way he sort of like enters the hallway, like, oh, Grandma, what's going on here? You, Rebecca, thought maybe there was something to this He guy. seems super suspicious yeah. in, in his first appearance. I was like, oh, David did it. 100% David did it. A, why is he living with Grandma? Never explained. <laughs> sure, he's working on his film career. Right, he's going to NYU film school with his little like camcorder that he bought at Radio Shack. Oh my God, that was so stupid. <laughs> and what kind of Skippy. film is he making? Just like, hey friends, you stand by that railing, I'm going to take some B-roll of you. Skipping ahead to the nearly the end of the episode, they go to talk to him, and he's got a tripod and a palm quarter to attach that and I gotta On get back to my TV movie. On a TV set. No lights. Where they could no li microphones, no craft mind, services. He's on a TV set. 
they could have very easily just taken one of their cameras, of which I'm sure they have more than one. Oh, Mr. Wolf, won't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> right. I think the union there is pretty strong. You can't put a thumb on that. Mm. You can think, somebody's got to go down to uh, Circuit City yeah. and buy a palm quarter. I had questions about something else that happened around uh, the widow. Okay? okay, yeah. So the partner, that's Becker, right? Yeah. And he's like, I have to go spend time with Saul's widow. And like, there's a whole thing where like, he's going to be like consoling Saul's widow, spending time with Saul's widow. And you kind of think that when you meet her, she's going to be like a disaster. Yeah. She's fine. She yeah, seems she's completely fine. Because <laughs> yeah. she seems relieved. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was very, I was interested in that too. Because, you know, the, when you say like, oh, you're hosting Shiva for somebody else, like that's a big deal. Right. Because like, she can't do it. Exactly. And it's like, no, uh, is her apartment too small or something? Like, it, it does no, not her apartment way. was palatial. <laughs> yeah. These people but, had a lot of money for owning a leather coat store. I'm just yes, going to say it. I agree. You know, that's why David only has a palm quarter. For us Gentiles, explain how Shiva is not like a dinner party. No. No. And, and, and honestly, you don't really offer people food like strangers, strange police detectives. And it's Have like, some oh, cake. Do they want something? It's like, no, they don't want something. They want to talk to you about the, about the murder that happened. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, some of the details I appreciated. Some of the mirrors were covered. I appreciated that. I, yeah, I don't know. Just every every time a Jewish woman popped on screen, it was like, food, 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 food. <laughs> even the widow who was like, I can't yes. even offer you cake. <laughs> Even with the absence of food, there still had to be a line about food. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God help me on this one. When Grandma talks about her son, yeah, and she says... He's a very successful cardiologist with a big practice in Los Angeles. He was here for the funeral, then he had to get back. He's a very successful cardiologist in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, she was so proud. <laughs> she could not have been any prouder. And I think that's why Saul, was, he died happy, because he knew his son was a cardiologist. Probably. Evidently. Who didn't stick around for the shiva? <laughs> God damn. Yeah, where was he? His father just died. There is something extremely fishy about this family. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I think they were all embezzling from the store. Let's be real. Medical school costs a lot of money. You know, maybe the first draft of this, David was originally the culprit, and then they had to mm-hmm. like reverse course and just like change it and make the poor bald guy the uh, yeah. adopted yep. non Jewish. <laughs> it's, it is a great twist. So the motive and means of the homicide are so convoluted mm. that at one point even Briscoe gives up. Well, if he's telling the truth, Sal either had reasons of his own to get rid of Kaplan, what they are, we don't know, or he was doing it for somebody else. Who that is, we don't know. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> okay, I have to say, never having seen any of this before, yeah. I thought Jesse L. Martin was delightful. And yes. I was like, you, I actually like. It looks like something is happening. There's some kineticism on screen as yes. opposed to everything else. Isn't he also gorgeous, by the way? He really is. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Sorry, Kevin. Can't not say it every time. He He's is gorgeous. gorgeous. <laughs> I wish I had a nickel every time you said that. <laughs> I actually wondered for a minute maybe Briscoe caught what Eddie had in that moment. Like, he just seemed so confused. <laughs> he caught what he had? 
<laughs> like they're in Van Buren's office just doing cop stuff. I mean, it's not like you haven't done this for your entire career, Briscoe. And then he just seems so befuddled by the idea that I don't know this could be more complicated than originally thought. <laughs> well, you've been spending too much time with Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the end of the, the first half here, Briscoe and Green pull up to the store where Mr. Becker is opening up. Where is he, Mr. Becker? And he has the nerve to say, Where's who? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this scene. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, now take a look at the second half of this episode. Eli Becker has fled to Israel, where he claims residency, and the Israeli consul says they're not sending him back. Wait a minute. Israel is violating its reciprocity agreements to harbor a murderer? No, we... We intend to cooperate fully with your office and conduct a trial in Israel. That's unacceptable. This is murder for hire committed on American soil. The only reason Eli Becker is in Israel is to avoid prosecution in an American court. Abby learns that Eli was adopted and his birth mother was Mary Elizabeth Kelly. The fact they repeat like six times. It's such a great name. <laughs> D.A. Nora Lewin thinks if they can convince the Israelis Eli didn't meet the standard for conversion, they'll send him back. They go to a higher court, a Brooklyn rabbinical court, and after weighing the arguments, the rabbis find Eli is not Jewish enough, and it's a Shonda! Which is why I always wanted to yell for some reason. (laughs) The Kaplan say the Beckers treated Eli differently because he was adopted. After taking a deal, Sal testifies he helped Eli sell the -the off-the-books merchandise until Saul discovered the thefts and Eli wanted him taken out. On the stand, Eli says he was just blowing off steam, but Jack says he knew he was never going to inherit the business. After entreaties come suggesting Eli serve any potential sentence in Israel, McCoy and Carmichael dangle the offer hoping for a plea. Eli asks his parents what to do. Mom says if he's truly innocent, they'll fight for him, but if not, he should take the deal. And the father goes, what's your mother said? <laughs> He's been spending too much time with exactly. Eddie, too. <laughs> <laughs> Jewish stereotypes shattered by NBC forever. What do you think? Oh, yes, um, totally. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I I was surprised at some of the accuracy. Um, okay. But then some of it was also you just mean the like... Yelling? There was a lot of yelling. We see no evidence that to this point Eli Becker has been living what we would call a Jewish lifestyle. Accordingly, Eli Becker is ruled not Jewish. Rabbis, rabbis, can I be heard? Our ruling will be put into writing and made available to both sides by the end of the day. I had half my family die in the ovens. Who the hell are you to tell me that my son is not Jewish? Sorry, Mr. Becker, this is not up to us. All right, we're just going to skip ahead to that part here because (laughs) we may as well get into it. All right. Uh, I want to know everything about this court. Mm -hmm. I want to know who the bailiffs are. I want to know how you get appointed. I want to hear the other cases. This would be a great Thursday night at 10 p.m. on NBC show. Would it? I think so. (laughs) No. It would maybe make a great web series. 
<laughs> what's what's the, the ten minute thing? Is it Quibo or Quibi or Quibi? Quibi? <laughs> <laughs> it would be perfect for that. <laughs> I mean, perfect. seriously though, that is what the, you know. The, in Hebrew, this is called a, a bait din, um, mm-hmm. and this is what you know they do. I I, do, I don't know that they would be you know enlisted to determine someone's Jewishness that they would listen to in Israel because the Israeli. Um, the Israeli Jewish rabbinical courts are, are, are very powerful um, and they mm-hmm. definitely have their own standard of doing things. And it's actually interesting that this episode brings up like who is a Jew and who is not a Jew. And I was I wrote a note like, oh, no, um, <laughs> same. <laughs> they, they definitely lost me when he was like, you know, my family was, you know, died in the ovens. And I was like. Well, that's that's a, a really interesting way to put that. B, nobody died in the ovens. They were already dead. That was, that, <laughs> like, let's just, I mean, I mean, I know we're being dramatic here, but still. Yeah, I don't know. That scene was just very like, Rabbi this and, and Carmichael, her name was the. Yes. Yeah. OK, so when she was like halakhic law and I was like. <laughs> now, it's my understanding of Halakhic law that there are three requirements for conversion. Circumcision, Hebrew naming, and a ritual bath known as a mikvah performed by a rabbi. Please forgive me if I've mispronounced anything. You're doing fine. <laughs> she did apologize at first for messing things up. Yes, yes. I mean, the thing the thing to note here is that they act as if this court is a joke when they're in their own office, right? Yeah. And then well, when she, I don't well, know. they're sort of like, oh, you like, rabbis from Brooklyn. Let's see if they'll listen to those guys. <laughs> you know? And then when she goes there, she is the most earnest version of Abby Carmichael I have ever seen. Really? Because I felt scene. she... That Angie Harmon was probably the only one who actually felt uncomfortable about this whole <laughs> setup. Um, I just found it really interesting the way they kind of kept switch, like almost code switching between like you know the 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 lawyer who's also not great in the rabbinical court, like refers to to Eli Becker as like not particularly from, and that's like that means religious, and like you, you would actually use that terminology. So it's interesting that like they didn't elaborate on that because that is that is something that would be realistic. But then then you have the guy going Ashanda and like pulling <laughs> off his yarmulke, and it's like okay, uh, you know, did did we get notes from somebody or like you know this is just not ringing Jewish enough to like hmm. the executive producers. <laughs> I ha- I just kept wondering is this going to be like was this an idea for like a future Dick Wolf spinoff that we never saw like oh, Law and Order Rabbinical Court Law and Order Rabbinical Intent. <laughs> oh my god. Man. <laughs> So we do learn that Eli's birth mother is Mary Elizabeth Kelly. What was her name? Mary Elizabeth Kelly. What was her name again? Mary Elizabeth Kelly. She's as Jewish as I am. Well, you know that she was Catholic, not because she gave the baby up for adoption, but because they are using all three of her names. That's right. Mary Elizabeth Kelly. Mary, and She's as Jewish as I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, and I'm sure... She is always known as Mary Elizabeth. <laughs> Not just Mary, her middle name's Elizabeth, right. but if she's, you know. Well, she had the troubles. She, I, she had the troubles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that time she went to go live with Aunt Mary Margaret. <laughs> she, went, she went to the farm for a couple of months, came back a whole new person. <laughs> oh, poor Mary Elizabeth, she had the troubles. <laughs> oh. So we, we see the city councilman 
uh, who I guess is the Jewish General Mike Flynn, mm. says if Eli could serve his sentence in Israel, people would appreciate it. If Mr. Becker has spent his entire life believing himself to be a Jew and now wants to live in the state of Israel as a Jew, there are those who would say it would be a mitzvah to allow it. Only a mitzvah. What do you mean only a mitzvah? I mean there are no elections riding on this? The fate of nations isn't hanging in the balance? There are people who would appreciate it in Israel and in New York. If that means something to you, maybe you can help bring it about. And uh, if it doesn't, it doesn't. That guy was so scuzzy. I was, just, I was actually <laughs> probably of everything the most offended by his portrayal. And just him being like, they would have the undying gratitude of the Jewish people. And I'm like, first of all, you can't get two Jewish people to be grateful about the same thing. So good luck. <laughs> we have whole holidays dedicated to trying to make sure we're, we're grateful about the same thing. We still managed to disagree. Um, it was just like, what do you guys do? You, do you want to be like a mover and shaker in Israeli politics? Like, what's this about Jonathan Pollard? And like he's just he just is on a different plane, and I was just very like, all right, whatever. Also, they just did not fit his keep up very well because half these guys looked like it was about to fly off. <laughs> <laughs> How do you keep one on when you're bald? I kept wondering that every time Eli was in the scene. Well, one of my uncles is bald, and we do joke that he should use a suction cup. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a little spirit gum, just like every, you know, everything else on Broadway. <laughs> but look, he does it instead of like Nora saying, I will not be intimidated or politically bribed when it comes to the equal application of the justice, sir. We hear until Jack. Berenson is lobbying very hard to let Becker serve his sentence in Israel. And right now, it's a concession I feel inclined to make. I was like, wait a minute. I thought the whole point of that scene was to show you have a backbone. Well, it's problematic in a few ways. However, it is something that bears out in New York politics a lot, as I'm sure Michael can uh, like elucidate in terms of like city powers having a um, interesting sort of yeah. waxing and waning relationship with Jewish leaders in the community. I mean, I know de Blasio has really kind of like made news a lot for his, you know, choices and political decisions and so forth. (laughs) It's a complicated ecosystem in New York. However, the problem here is this show makes it seem like Jews are monolithic and only one person and of one mind, which is how this show always treats Mm -hmm. people in all sorts of groups. And I think clearly that's not the case in real life. But so I agree that the depiction of it was kind of scuzzy. There's usually more pushback. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there is usually more pushback. (laughs) So the fact that it was like we're dangling kind of campaign money in front of you. And then five seconds later, you know, I think this might be such a good idea. It's kind of like, wow, there weren't a lot of dots to connect on that one. Yeah. It's also just like, are there people like advocating for a guy who, you know, not not to make it, you know, a a closed ecosystem, but like he murdered a, a Jewish guy, you know, like it's it's not like a mm-hmm. random crime it's like a, a a specific gross you know betrayal and, and yep. yeah and to me it would be like you know if, if there were like op-eds in, in some of the papers like this man must be tried in israel like well okay maybe but then again like nothing seems to happen in this show that doesn't happen like in the rooms <laughs> including their personal lives i don't think i've ever seen a tv show that like didn't address people by name it was just like, here we are. This is who you are. <laughs> so you're saying that it wouldn't be a mitzvah? <laughs> yeah, I, I mm, no, mm. can we, no. Uh, to any aspiring writers out there, just don't throw that word around if you don't know Thank what you. It means. 
So in the end, the father asserts Eli's uh, innocent by saying, It's only generous if he committed a murder for hire, and I say he did not. <laughs> <laughs> Way to be loyal to your partner of many decades. Right. <laughs> I thought you guys were, quote, like family. Guess not. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just to say, that would not go over in an Irish family. You did what, Jackie? <laughs> Get my wooden spoon. <laughs> right now. This isn't rabbinical court. <laughs> Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. All right, let's take a look at the real life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the 1997 case of Maryland teenager Samuel Scheinbein. He and his friend, Aaron Needle, were accused of murdering and dismembering Freddie Tello, Needle's rival for a girl's affection. They beat Tello to death, dismembered and burned the body, stuffed it into trash bags and stored it in a vacant house. When the corpse was discovered, canines sniffed the trail back to Scheinbein's garage. Before police could nick the teen, Scheinbein's father stuck him on a plane to Israel. Once there, he claimed citizenship, which shielded him from extradition to the US. The American government applied intense diplomatic pressure to get him back, with congressional threats to withhold aid if they didn't produce the fugitive. Scheinbein's lawyers argued that even though the country had a treaty with the United States, an Israeli law protected its citizens from extradition orders from other nations. Israel's Supreme Court agreed, and Scheinbein remained in the country. Frustrated by the ruling, prosecutors tried Scheinbein in Israel for his crimes in America. He accepted a plea bargain of 24 years. In 2014, after smuggling a gun into his Ramallah prison, Samuel Scheinbein was killed in a shootout with guards. Damn. <laughs> I somehow missed that coda. <laughs> All right, so um, just to, for context, because we didn't get a lot of it in the, in the TV show. The we did ex- not. <laughs> the extradition laws in Israel uh, have since changed, but they were originally set up to protect... Israeli citizens from being sent to countries that were anti-Semitic so that they could be treated as political prisoners. It was a protection thing. But now for protection, the citizen must have a residential connection to Israel. So it can't be abused as some think that the law was in this case. Also, they'll permit extradition for trial if the citizen can serve their sentence in an Israeli prison. Hmm. And the U.S. has... uh, signed on to that treaty and so they're okay with that so i guess if they meet the definition today 
you could be tried in the U.S. and serve your sentence in Israel. That's news to me. I mean, it's well, actually... You were planning on that. No? <laughs> I know, right? I, was like, I mean, actually, I was very curious why he would want to serve his, you know, time in Israel. Because, again, like, they just didn't establish that this guy, like, had half a foot in Tel Aviv. They were just like, oh, yeah, he lived there for a while. And I don't know. But it was interesting to me because I'm 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 interested in the timeline on this because I remember when I was on my like Boardwalk Empire kick and I was like googling what happened to Meyer Lansky. He mm-hmm. was actually extradited from Israel. He tried to do the same thing so that he wouldn't have to stand trial in the U.S. And this was in the '70s. And they, I found mm-hmm. a New York Times article about it where they were like, hey, "We're not going to extradite you, but you can't stay here, and you can only go to a country that will accept you, aka only the U.S." And right. so that was, and and then. So I was confused, and then I like looked up the Scheinbein case, and I was like, okay, so clearly the law changed between the seventies and the nineties. Um, but yeah, that was that was odd. I have a question. Yeah, I don't know anything about Israeli prison. Is it somehow better than prison in the United States? I mean, food's different. No, I guess, I guess the food would be kosher. If that would be a concern. I mean, there are prisons in the U.S. that literally cater to. <laughs> It's pretty easy to smuggle a gun into one, apparently. Yeah, I just, I'm just i just curious. According to Wikipedia, he had been given furlough, and like that was how he kind of like got the gun. I don't know. It was super weird. This guy definitely had issues. Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> <Let's just, laughs> <laughs> uh, so after he fled to Israel, Scheinbein's brother Robert flew to Tel Aviv and presented him with his first bottle of wine and a prostitute. You know, nice. like you do. Okay. It's a mitzvah. <sighs> Don't stop it. No. Stop it. That's not a thing. It's not a thing? It's not a thing you can say and Damn you're using it wrong. <laughs> I learned seven Yiddish words. I want to use them all. Because it's a Shonda. Just, just for the record, mitzvah is Hebrew. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks, see? I read stuff all the time. This is how you get to be a better ally. Yeah. You go on this podcast. <laughs> Scheinbein's father had dual citizenship, and he was charged with obstruction of justice. And so he moved to Israel, where he couldn't be extradited. Huh. Same with the brother. Hmm. So the family that flees together flees together. Apparently. Do you like that one? Uh, Not so much. Was- <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say, ah. Uh. <laughs> so in the murder of Freddie uh, Tello, his accomplice, Aaron Needle, well, he Aaron Needle hanged himself before trial. Oh, dear. And while this in Israel, is Scheinbein also attempted suicide and was sent to a psychiatric hospital. That's where he was when they apprehended him hmm. in Israel. Uh, so when they were planning the murder, Scheinbein bought a Jiu-Jitsu 2000 knife. The kind they sell on TV? No, that's a jujitsu. Okay. <laughs> J-E-W jitsu? That's what I thought you just Maybe said. Maybe I'm wrong with a D. Do jitsu? I don't know. Well, I, he got it because it was recommended by Consumer Reports. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I said... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was. Was it the one where they cut the tin can on I the commercial? I think it was. And then they cut the tomato? And then they cut the tomato. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my Ooh. God. Well, I mean, not to make light, but I guess doing your research can pay off. Because if a thing is worth doing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So in what podcast did Samuel Scheinbein's case play an important role? Anyone remember? Serial? Explain. Um, Because, am am I right, first of all? You are right. Okay, 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 wait. Oh, 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 oh. Was it because of... Let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. Was it because of testimony of a friend? I don't know. Why? No, it's when Anand Syed asked for bail 
the prosecution suggested Anand would flee to Pakistan, That's saying right. they didn't want oh, another Shinebind situation. That's right. So thanks, Christina Gutierrez <laughs> and Shay. <laughs> Well, that is going to do it for us. <laughs> we want to thank our special guest, what? Mikhail Schick. Oh, thank you so Mikhail, much for having me on. Where can our listeners follow you online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain, uh, probably talking not about Law & Order, but, but definitely <laughs> talking about Jewish things. Especially nowadays. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? You can find me at Reb Lavoy on Twitter and Instagram and, of course, on all the other podcasts. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter and a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in crime media. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day, and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.